Ooh, it has been a day. <laughs> and it's, it's, because it's been a day, you might be here and you're feeling tired. And you might be tempted to, to drift off and, and fall asleep, but, but I would beg you not to. Uh, and so whatever you need to do to be engaged tonight, I, I want you to be able to do it. If, if you come from a faith background where you're used to uh, like interacting and, and talking back a little bit more, you can do that. You won't scare me. And if you would prefer to just keep your head down and not look up at all and write furiously, you can do that too. Because I really want you to be able to enjoy this passage tonight and be moved by it. Because reading the upper room discourse in our day is interesting. The disciples in this room, Easter doesn't exist yet. So, so they're, they're having this conversation and, and they, they sort of know, but they don't really know what's gonna happen. But for us, Next week, we're getting up, gearing up to, to go to our Easter, where we're going to declare he is risen. But even in our day, all is not restored. And so how do we live day to day in that? And so this is what we're going to study tonight, because as Jesus equips us to endure, we bear fruit. So let's pray, and then I'm going to read our passage, and we'll get into it. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight to see the spiritual reality of the true vine that you have created for your followers. Amen. Read with me on page 12 of your outline packet or in your Bibles, John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So, what does it mean to have a fruitful life? Maybe you've been on social media and you've seen hashtag best life. What is that? I wanted
wanted, sorry, my senior year of college, I so wanted to be living my best life. I wanted to be fruitful, successful, productive. And at my college, academic achievements were marked by honor cords that were worn at the graduation ceremony. And I wanted these cords. I wanted more than anybody else to flaunt it at graduation day. But to get these, I neglected many areas of my life. I neglected time with friends. I neglected time with the Lord. I neglected time growing in my faith. And then I got all these cords and I got all the grades and I got rejected from every grad school that I applied to. And I couldn't even get a job interview. And on my graduation day, with no job, no plan, no grad school, honestly, all I can remember from that day was that it was muggy. And these cords became so heavy. The burden of my misplaced search for fruitfulness weighed on me, literally and figuratively. You see, there's nothing wrong with academic achievement. It's good to do well in school. But I had tried to seek my life in it. I had not attached myself to a living source. These were ropes that were tangling and binding and holding me down. And so we see hashtag living my best life on social media, but we wonder what does that mean? And what do we do with that nagging suspicion that we aren't living our best lives? Well, take heart, because in this passage, Jesus shows you what the best life is. And here it is, fullness of life, joy, and fruitfulness come from being connected to Jesus. Fullness of life, joy, and fruitfulness come from being connected to Jesus. And so if you want to endure and live a fruitful life, this passage is calling us to three things. They're on your outline, page 13. First, know the source of fruitfulness. Second, remain attached to the source of fruitfulness. And third, understand what true fruitfulness actually is. So, so first, understand, know the source of fruitfulness. We first need to make something very clear. Relationship with Jesus is the source of fruitfulness. Jesus is the source. Your fruitfulness does not establish the relationship. Relationship is the source of fruitfulness with Jesus. And you can see this in verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So this passage is not about how to earn God's favor or forgiveness or how to become a follower of Jesus. This passage is for people who are already Christians. The disciples are already clean before God, not because of anything that they have done for Jesus, but because of his word for him. We don't earn God's favor and forgiveness. We accept it as a free gift from Jesus. 
And, and you can see this even clearer down in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So, so this passage is not about how to start following Jesus and become a Christian, but rather how a Christian grows in fruitfulness after they understand and accept the gospel, the good words that Jesus has spoken, his message that he has lived and died and paid for sin to take your place so you could be rescued. So we've got to establish that. Because most of this passage is a metaphor. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In verse 5, he says again, I am the vine, and you, he's talking to the disciples, are the branches. And so Jesus is using a, a natural metaphor to describe a spiritual reality. And I, I brought a vine here today just because I thought it would be helpful to look. He's saying, this vine, these leaves, they didn't choose to grow here. They grew out of this vine. And so he's saying they have not done anything to put themselves on this vine. Neither can they make themselves fall off. And he's saying for the same thing, for those whom he has chosen, they did not earn their place on this vine. And so neither can they disqualify themselves or take themselves off from it. You just see that, that this is a spiritual reality. This, this is just what a vine is. And for those in Christ, this is what it is. And you remember, this passage is part of a larger conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is about to die, and the disciples are going to feel very in confused. Because the disciples have good intentions. They love Jesus, and they want to follow him. But they also have an imperfect understanding. They are still learning and trying to figure out what does it mean to love Jesus and to follow him. And if you are a Christian, likely you feel the same. You want to serve God and please him. You may have even come to this conference thinking something along the lines of, I want to serve God, but I don't know how. Well, verse 4 says that a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine. Did you go outside today? Did you go on that hike? Good for you. Did you see all the buds coming out? The buds were not coming off the branches that are broken off and laying on the ground. The buds only come from the ones who are the trees that are connected to the trees and the plants. And so to put it very simply, we can't bear fruit for Jesus without Jesus. We can't serve Jesus without Jesus. And this is important, you, you have to get this, because all of your doing stems from what Christ has already done in you. You don't go to church and lead a Bible study and come here so that God will love you. You go to church and lead a Bible study and do those things because God loves you. And you want to be with him and invite others. This statement, I'm the true vine, it's one of a series of seven statements in the book of John where Jesus makes claims. He's told his disciples that he's the light of the world, he's the bread of life, he's the good shepherd, he's the way, he's the resurrection. 
And many of those statements talk about how Jesus rescues us. But this statement shows us that Jesus doesn't just save us, he sustains us. You need to know the source of fruitfulness stems from this vine branches relationship. Because I know many of you are here and you identify as Christians this weekend, but but some of you might not be sure yet. And if that's the case, I am so thankful that you are here, especially if you took a risk in coming here. Because wherever you're at, you need to know if you get the source of fruitfulness wrong, you will end up like me on my graduation day, tied up to the wrong ropes. Vines that might look pretty, but aren't alive. Perhaps you've looked for life in academics like me. Perhaps it's been relationships, sports teams, musical ensembles, your phone. Most of these things are not explicitly evil, but they don't provide lasting satisfaction. Or maybe you have gone to darker places to find life in addiction to alcohol or substances, sex, pornography. And those things all provide promises of life that they can't fulfill because they're not true living vines. They are strings of barbed wire pretending to be vines. A barbed wire looks a lot like a vine. It might have even fooled some of you up here. But it's not alive. It's not meant to grow and produce life, but rather to contain, to trap, and do harm to those who try to get out. You may have started school believing that some weekend partying and hooking up was actually the outlet you needed to blow off steam from school so that you could be productive when, you, when it came to homework time. But as you've gone through semester after semester, it's no longer an outlet. It has taken control. It doesn't bring productive life, but it is slowly trapping and harming and killing you. On the flip side, you might have a lot of skills in Bible study, but if you lead Bible studies without being connected to Jesus, you won't bear the fruit of satisfying fullness of life and richness of relationship that Jesus is offering you. you know, wherever you're at, dear sister, I would like to submit to you a mental reframe. Your best life isn't found in pursuing things that make you happy or make you feel productive. The best life you can find is in knowing Jesus and living for his purposes in the world. The best life isn't in what makes you feel happy, but in knowing Jesus and living for his purposes. So you ready? Here comes some applications. Christian sister, see the barbed wires for what they are. Don't believe the lie that you can make your own best life however you see fit. Recognize your place on the vine. Recognize that your life, your very breath, your abilities, your skills, they come from the Lord and use them to glorify him. You can't bear fruit for Jesus without Jesus. You can't serve Jesus without Jesus. 
But take heart. Jesus has cleansed you and placed you on the vine. You can know true fruitfulness because when you know your place on this vine is secure, you can be unleashed for all sorts of godly productivity. And that feels so different than scraping and seeking to prove yourself at every turn. And, Christian sister, when you see the sinful barbed wires, you can turn away from them because you see right through them. They promise life, but they will only give death. No, thank you. And to those of you who are unsure and undecided about who Jesus is, see the barbed wires for what they are. Don't believe the lie that you can make your own best life however you see fit. Recognize that whatever you've attached yourself to is not a vine providing life and nutrients. It is a barbed wire seeking to trap and harm you. But take heart. You don't have to live this way anymore. You aren't on this vine right now, but you can be. Look back at verse three. Jesus provides cleansing through his words. If you believe his words that he has spoken, that he is the vine and only he can give you life, you too can be placed on this vine. And all of these promises, these can be yours. So do you want to live a truly fruitful life? Fullness of life is not found in money or things or success, but in knowing Jesus, the source of fruitfulness. Now, as we move along, once you know the source, the passage then directs us to remain attached to the source of fruitfulness as we grow. And we remain attached by abiding in Jesus in the midst of pruning to avoid withering. We're going to talk about each of those. Let's start with abiding. Look again at your passage and circle all the places where the phrase abide is written. So you see it three times in verse 4. You see it once in 5, once in 6, twice in 7, once in 9, twice in 10. And as we've established this weekend, when things are repeated a lot, they are important. But abide is interesting. It's not necessarily a word we use a lot. So what does it mean? Abide is a verb, and here it means to remain or to stay. So when Jesus is saying over and over again, abide in me and I in you, he's saying, stay with me as I'm staying with you. Now, that's kind of interesting because look at this vine. Why would, they, why would these leaves need to be reminded to stay on the vine? And why would the disciples, who have literally followed Jesus around for three years at this point, why would they need repeated reminders to stay? Remember, Jesus is about to die. He is about to leave them. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, but he won't be with them physically in the day-to-day -day anymore. And Jesus knows that human beings tend to forget. Human beings tend to forget. And the days ahead for the disciples will be full of difficulty. And they need to be reminded that this vine exists even though they don't see Jesus physically. 
He's reminding them that even though he won't physically be there, his spirit is still very much present with them. And when he says that he will abide in them, he is talking about God's spirit living in every believer. The problems the disciples faced were very real. And Jesus knows their temptation maybe to to disconnect from the vine, to try and figure out life on their own. And he's reminding them over and over again, stay with me as I stay with you. And we need to hear this teaching too. Because we all have lives ahead of us and there will be many difficulties. And I don't know how long or what life will look like for you. But I do know this, there will be times, Jesus follower, in your life when you will need to be reminded that the vine is real and the vine is there and that Jesus is with you even when you don't see him. But how does one, how do you abide and stay with Jesus? He walks us through in our passage. And you might even want to either do a little flow chart or write some little arrows because we've got some connecting thoughts here where he explains what it is to abide. So we start in verse 9 where he commands very clearly, abide in my love. Stay in my love. And then verse 10, he connects that idea of staying and abiding in love to keeping the commandments of God. He's saying that the way he has stayed in his father's love is that he kept the commandments and he urges his followers to do the same. And then, do another little arrow, down to verse 11, he further connects the idea of keeping commandments with joy. So he makes this flow chart that abiding means obeying leads to joy. And perhaps for you, joy and obedience seem like things that don't go together. Perhaps you obeyed a parent out of fear or out of a desire to gain approval rather than out of love. And I'm sorry if that has been the case for you. Because in a healthy and secure relationship, obedience does bring joy. I grew up on a farm, and we had horses on that farm, and I was terrified of them. But my dad had taught me how to take care of them, and he had specifically taught me what to do if they ever got out of the pasture. And so sure enough, one day he's at work and one gets out, and I had a decision to make. I could either just wait for him to get home and deal with it, or... I could try to get her back myself. And so I entered the woods with carrots, a rope, and great fear. (laughs) But I brought her home. And when my dad came home and found her back in the pasture with the gate re-secured, he looked at me and he said, did you do this? And I said, yeah. And then he looked at me with a gleam in his eyes And he said, good job. You know, my dad didn't need me to go get that horse, but I knew in that moment that my obedience to his teaching led to him taking joy in me, and that made me have joy as well. 
By abiding in my father's teaching, I acted on his true words, even in the midst of fear, and grew in faith that he was teaching me rightly. I abided in his teaching, and obedience led to joy. In the same way, God has given us his commandments to obey, not to burden us with a to-do list, but because he wants us to know him and to know how to live life with joy. Like any good parent, he wants to teach us the right way to go, and that leads to his joy and ours. But even better than my human dad, he gives us not only his teaching, but he gives us himself. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his word. This Bible, this is not a dusty book. This is a book of life. Read it. If you don't have one, get one. We have them for you. So we remain attached to the source of fruitfulness by abiding. We abide by keeping his commandments. And, a, and a, keeping the commandments help us, helps us to know God and know joy. But pay attention, because here is where real life deviates from Instagram. Sometimes your best life grows in difficulty and struggle. Look at the second half of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, in gardening, pruning is the act of taking very sharp shears and cutting all, okay, I should have sharpened these, uh, cutting, <laughs> cutting away all of the pieces that are dead, that are unfruitful, so that there is more energy to be redirected to the fruitful parts of the plant. So Jesus is promising that it's the fruitful plants, the productive plants, that will get pruned. But who wants to get cut? That does not sound fun. And if you've ever seen a pruned tree, she does not look good. But pruning is God's act of love. Because in gardening, pruning can also be called training. And through pruning, God is training us to grow in maturity and righteousness. When the Lord prunes us, he is taking away the parts of us that are ungodly, they're dead, and working his resurrection power in us to make him more like himself. So what could pruning look like? Pruning could be you are reading the scriptures and you feel the conviction that something you're doing or believing does not align with God's perspective. And you're called to repent. Pruning could be a trusted Christian friend saying, hey, can I talk to you? Something that you're doing it really doesn't line up with what God says. Pruning might even be a consequence that God has allowed because of something foolish that you've done. Perhaps you got caught cheating on a test and now you fail that class and that's a consequence you have to live with. And when we feel that pruning cut, we are so tempted 
to get defensive. But another part of scripture says that God disciplines those he loves because they're his children. That if God didn't discipline us, didn't train us, didn't prune us, it would mean that he didn't love us as true children. Have you ever interacted with kids who have never been disciplined? (laughs) Who have never been taught how to act? Do they grow up to be gentle, rational, selfless adults? No. They grow up to be self-entitled jerks. (laughs) And that's how we'd be too if the Lord let us run wild. I have a toddler and I teach him to practice self-control and not steal his friend's toys because I don't want him to grow up to be a man who just takes what he wants. But right now he's two and he does not get that. And all he sees is the discomfort of timeouts, the feeling of deprivation, even though in the moment I'm giving him what he most needs, training. And I'm not trying to be condescending, but we are often a lot like my son. We see the Lord's pruning discipline and we interpret it as deprivation. We see discipline and interpret it as deprivation, as God holding out on us. But really, pruning is God loving us. Because look back at verse two, the whole point of pruning is so that the branch can bear more fruit. Self-entitled jerks can't even grasp the beauty of a sacrificial love like Christ's, let alone participate in his plan of redemption. And some of you are here today and you feel like the Lord is pruning you and it feels difficult, maybe even just brutal. But here's your application. Pruning is evidence that Jesus hasn't given up on you. This season of pruning will lead to a more fruitful life, even if it does not look pretty now. When you feel the pruning cut, know God is removing the selfishness, the ungodliness, the deadness in you, and it is because he loves you. But there's also a warning in this passage. There's a warning against withering In verse six, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So we've already established in verse three that Jesus is talking to true followers in this passage. So this warning might stand out starkly. And it may even have some of you worried that this passage is saying that you could lose your salvation Could there ever be a time when Jesus would say, never mind, I'm not gonna forgive you anymore, I'm done with you? No. This passage is not saying that he would throw away true followers of him. Now, again, it is worth saying there is no life apart from this vine. 
if you are separated from Jesus, if you've never confessed your sin and asked Jesus to cleanse, forgive, and cover you, then you are still dead in your sins. You're not on this vine. But if that's you, please, I want you to take a moment, even right now, to turn and repent away from your sin so that the Lord would place you on this vine. But so, if we're not talking about losing our salvation, what is the warning for Jesus' followers against withering? It's this. Even as true Christians following the Lord, we are tempted to try and disconnect ourselves from the Lord. Even when we're truly following the Lord, we feel tempted to disconnect. Our default is to not abide. That's why he's saying it over and over. And we distance ourselves from the Lord and as we do that, we wither. We become weak and anemic in our faith. We don't bear fruit. Now, Jesus has still paid for our sins. We still have our saving faith. But the relationship, it just lacks the fullness that it could have. This would be like having a sibling who lives in a different city, never calls, never texts, can't be bothered to put in the the effort to visit, and you haven't even seen that sibling in years. Now, the identity remains the same. They'll always be your sibling. But the relationship just feels kind of useless and dead in ways. And that is not what we want of our relationship with Jesus and not what he wants with us. But some of us are here and we have been in a season of withering. Start slow, we fall away from the Lord, we stop attending church or Bible studies or reading our Bible, and our faith suffers. And withering is the perfect word. Now Jesus hasn't thrown us away, but we've lost some of the vibrant life that comes from being connected to the Lord. And if you you feel that you've been in that season for a while, I am so encouraged that you're here this weekend. Your application, it's an invitation to remember that this vine is real, that you can come back. Jesus never even left. To remember that this vine is your spiritual reality. And I want all of us, no matter what season we're in, to understand that spending time in your Bible, worshiping together, going to church, These are not the things God will do so he will love you. No, these are the gifts that God has given you because he loves you and wants you to abide. Use them. Because even as followers of Jesus, our default is to stop abiding, to disconnect. And Jesus knows this, so he provides this warning. And it's important to acknowledge the whole context of this teaching He's not talking to just one individual. He's talking to a community of Jesus followers. Look back to verse 17. He ends this whole section. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I I just want to take the moment to point out it is very difficult to abide without a Jesus following community. 
This was not meant to be done alone. So seniors, we've had a lot of things to say to you. We have a couple more, and everyone can profit too. In one month, you will graduate. And many of you have grown tremendously in your faith through your campus fellowship. Some of you even first came to know Jesus here in college. And let me just say, one of the key factors that I have observed in how well young alumni adjust to post-college life is whether or not they get connected to a gospel-preaching, disciple-making church, community believers. We are so tempted to disconnect from the Lord. Christian community is a gift to help you abide, to encourage you in those times of pruning, to help keep you from withering. And so seniors, right now, as you look for church or uh, jobs, as you're thinking of moving, look for churches. So for all of us who follow Jesus, we grow in our faith by abiding in Jesus, by staying in his words and living them out. We do so in the midst of pruning as he shapes us to be more fruitful for his glory. And in doing so, we avoid withering. And so as we move along, now that we understand how to grow by knowing the source of fruitfulness and remaining attached, it is also important to ask ourselves, what is the fruit? What is true fruitfulness? And we've said before that true fruitfulness is not about your personal individual success, but about living for success, the success of Jesus' mission in your community. But here's, here's the fruit. The fruit is to live a life that produces words and actions in step with a God willing to lay down his life for his friends. So the fruit is the words and the actions that following the Lord produces. Because if you notice, there's a forward momentum to this passage that really culminates in verse 16, where, where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear more fruit and that your fruit should abide. You might want to underline, chosen, appointed, go. These are mission words. God has a plan and a purpose for the disciples' growth in the context of his wider world. Christian, God has a plan and a purpose for your growth in the context of his wider world. And this should be comforting because it doesn't matter who you are, you have an innate desire to know that you matter and that you have something meaningful to give this world. How do I know that? One, because Jesus said so. But also because even people who don't know Jesus can recognize this, that this is how humans were made. One of my favorite books is a very small book called Tribe. And it, the book is about what it means to belong in a human society. The author's not a Christian, but whether he likes it or not, he is made in the image of God and he has spent a career observing people. So he has picked up some truths about how the Lord has made us. And he makes the argument in his book 
that there are three things that all humans need to thrive regardless of time period or culture or circumstance. The three things that all humans need is a role they feel competent in, a responsibility within a community, and that they are close to others in that community. They need a role, they need responsibility, they need a community. Even those who aren't Christians can see that what God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone, is true. God has put in us the desire to feel connected and to bear fruit. And you see it in this passage when Jesus explains what bearing fruit and following his commands look like. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus' love is sacrifice. He's about to die and rise again so that his friends can be with God. And if you follow Jesus' commands, you will follow in the footsteps of sacrifice. You will produce words and actions in step with a God willing to lay down his life for his friends. And living a life in step with God leads to deeper unity and deeper relationship with God. You'll notice, and we've talked about it already, that every passage this weekend has some sort of sentence that looks something like verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And now some of us might see that and say, hey, whatever I wish, here we go. And we might be started to, to define fruitfulness on our terms. But thinking like that is all about you, yourself, and not you, yourself, and I, me, myself, and I. Uh, and it misses the first half of that verse. Go back to the first half. Look back, abide in me and my words abide in you. You know, when you stay around somebody for a long time, you start to think like them. You start to talk like them. You start to act like them. You share their interests. If you didn't know, this is why your mama told you, be careful who your friends are. And in this passage, we see the more you are around Jesus, the more you're going to love the things he loves, want the things he wants. He will change what you want and the way you want it. And he will turn you from a self-absorbed jerk to a self-sacrificer, just like he is. And he will be delighted to have you join him on this mission of showing his love to the world. And this will be your true joy. So here's the application. You follow Jesus, not just in your head, but also out into the streets of your community. This passage addresses all three of those core basic human needs. You have a role to play as a disciple and a disciple maker. As you abide, Jesus grows you in your ability to play that role. You have a community of brothers and sisters in Christ that the Lord has provided you with. Practice loving one another. That means helping each other. That means truly listening to, one, to each other. For some of you right now, that means working through that conflict that has been festering all semester. 
It means reaching out to the person who is hard to love and far from Jesus because Jesus loved you when you wanted nothing to do with him. And as you live this way in community, you find a depth in relationship with others and with Jesus that you won't find anywhere else. So Christian sister, Jesus chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would abide. You know, it's interesting. When you, when you look at, in John, the end of this, this conversation with the disciples, the next thing Jesus does in chapter 17 is he goes and prays by himself. And he prays for the disciples. And it's interesting if you read his prayer. His prayer assumes that his, these 11 disciples will go out into the world and that more and more people will come to faith because God will use the fruit they bear through the words they speak and the conduct they display. Do you realize that for the disciples and for us, verse 16 came true? That you have saving faith in part because these disciples listened to what Jesus said. They abided. They lived lives that produced words and actions in obedience to God's command. Others saw it and heard it and God used it to change their lives. You would not know Jesus without them. There may be others that will not know Jesus without you if the Lord is calling you to share. It has been my prayer today that you would see that this is the mission you were made for. What a joy to know that as Jesus equips us to endure, we bear fruit as we go. We have a purpose and if you're here today and you're not yet sure what you think about Jesus, I want to appeal one last time. Your longing for a community, your desire for a role to play, your desire to have meaning and purpose, they were placed in you by God himself when he made you. You too can experience this life by responding to him. If he is reaching out to you this weekend, I pray that you would see this as evidence that you were made for something more than yourself. And as we close tonight,
that we would abide as you abide in us. Amen. Amen.